Welcome to our digital discussion on the reset in the bilateral relations uh, between the European Union and Russia. My guest today is Niku Popescu, who is the director of the Wider Europe program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, he is based in the Paris office of the think tank. Uh, his topics uh, uh, include the European Union's relations with Russia, but also the Eastern Partnership countries. In 2019, Niko Popescu served as Minister of Foreign Affairs and European Integration of Moldova. Now, our topic on the reset of the bilateral relations between uh, the European Union and Russia is a very relevant one. The European Union top diplomat Borrell went to Moscow last week to test whether the Russian government was interested in addressing differences and uh, reversing the negative trend in the bilateral relations. The timing of this visit could not have been more unfortunate following the recent developments linked to the poisoning, arrest and sentencing of the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. So, what is your reading of these developments, Nico? And how do you assess uh, the current, uh, as I called it, diplomatic fiasco that followed last week with the visit of uh, Josep Borrell in Moscow? So, I would say that it's been uh, since 2009, or almost 12 years since the European Union, the United States have been uh, looking at their policy in Russia through this prism of uh, potential resets. Uh, so we've seen something like a pendulum where you got phases of um, a tense diplomatic interaction between the United States and the EU on one hand and Russia on the other hand, followed by several reset offers coming from the West uh, since 2009 primarily. Of course, we had the Obama reset, which was launched in March 2009. After that, we had some follow-up activities and reset offers on the European Union side. And that was the uh, EU-Russia Partnership for Modernization initiative, which resulted in a jointly signed um, memorandum uh, where the EU and Russia agreed to be partners in modernization in 2011. And around the same time, Germany launched a bilateral so-called Meseberg initiative, where they were supposed to have a conversation with Russia on how to uh, build together a European security architecture. Then, of course, even after Crimea, after these initial resets, we had a phase of uh, tense and complicated relations. Uh, partly determined by Putin's return to the presidency, then the annexation on, in Crimea and war in Donbass. But by 2016, so just two years after the, the annexation of Crimea, the European Union put forward the so-called Mogherini principles, one of which was uh, suggesting that the EU and Russia should uh, look for ways to selectively engage on areas of mutual interest. Uh, then, that offer was not really picked up, but very often on, not very far below the surface of EU policy making on Russia, you constantly had quite a lot of senior politicians, diplomats, country leaders 
who were thinking that it would be useful to have another go at offering Russia some kind of a reset. Of course, you had the Bregenson summit between Emmanuel Macron and Vladimir Putin in 2019, which was somewhat predicated on the idea on the need to engage with Russia. And of course, I would say that this recent visit by Jose Borrell to, to Moscow is part of this chain of diplomatic offers to Russia. Uh, an offer to try and normalize and stabilize relations and create new platforms of dialogue uh, on those area, in those areas where EU and Russian interests more or less converge or coincide, or at least they can uh, coexist, and try and minimize tension on those areas of interaction where uh, the position of the two are too far to bridge, but at least to make sure that those differences don't dominate the relationship entirely. Now, I have a problem with this uh, view of, of uh, approach to Russia, partly because for several reasons. I think this idea that what you need is to go and have a nice conversation with Russia and uh, show a lot of respect and organize some summits and just be polite at press conferences are not really conducive uh, to a reset for several reasons. Uh, and that's in this I see that one of the main reasons as to why these resets uh, did not work is not because the interactions were not polite or because the West was, was showing some disrespect to Russia. I think that's not true. I think the fundamental dynamic which makes these reset offers not very viable so far is that the West and the EU and the US have not really forced themselves into a position of indispensability. What we've seen in the last um, more than a decade in interactions with Russia is that uh, to a large extent Western foreign policies have been looking much more similar to what Russian preferences were. If you remember in 2007 there was, a, uh, there was Putin, Vladimir Putin's speech in Munich where he complained about Western foreign policy, he complained about humanitarian intervention, democracy promotion, and several other uh, tendencies which were dominant at the time under George Bush presidency. Now, what happened since Munich is that actually Western foreign policies, the foreign policies of the United States and of the EU look much more similar to what Vladimir Putin uh, would have liked to see them back in 2007. The policy of Western of humanitarian interventions has basically ceased uh, a decade ago. We know that the United States was quite reluctant when it came to the intervention in Libya, and there was an explicit uh, policy not to intervene in Syria against Bashar al-Assad. So in this sense, for all practical purposes, we're basically for a decade already, uh, humanitarian interventions are no longer taking place. Even if you look at the press conferences between Russian and European leaders, then European leaders are much less into promoting uh, democracy and human rights during press conferences or for concrete events than 20 years ago. I remember, you know, there was a, a conference between Jacques Chirac and Vladimir Putin in the early days of the Chechnya war, where Jacques Chirac was much more outspoken about democracy issues in Russia than any Western leader today. And despite these uh, symbolic concessions to Russian foreign policy preferences, despite the cessation of humanitarian interventions, 
Of course, the NATO enlargement process to Ukraine and Georgia has all but stopped uh, for all practical purposes. We have not seen an improvement in relations between Russia and the West. Even though, and of course, there are Western sanctions, but of course, Western policies are much more shy vis-a-vis -vis Russia, and they have been much more shy both under Obama, under uh, Donald Trump, than they were under George Bush, if you want to personalize it. But the relationship is not getting better. Mm -hmm. Clearly, as you've outlined uh, perfectly, there is a negative trend uh, when it comes to the bilateral relations. But uh, I would even uh, go one step further mm -hmm. by claiming that there was a clear diplomatic, uh, you know, humiliation, if you want to put it that way, uh, during this visit, uh, because um, during the press conference, uh, which we all observed, uh, covering those who co cover uh, the relations uh, between Russia and Europe, we've noticed that uh, the language also has changed. When uh, the Russian minister called the European Union an unreliable partner, and he also accused European uh, leaders of lying about Navalny's poisoning. Um, also, Borrell learned, in fact, of the um, expulsions of the three European Union diplomats from Germany, Poland, and Sweden exactly during this meeting. So, uh, to use uh, the words of uh, the top uh, European diplomat, um, Quote, my meeting with Minister Lavrov highlight, highlighted that Europe and Russia are drifting apart. It seems that Russia is progressively, progressively disconnecting itself from Europe. However, on the other side, there is one big geopolitical elephant in this, um, in this room, which is the Franco-German relationship towards, uh, towards Russia. And I would like to ask, uh, ask about your assessment. Uh, you've pointed to some of these um, dependencies and some of these developments. Uh, however, clearly there is a decoupling between our European understanding of human rights and, diplom uh, and democracy on the one side and geoeconomic interests on the other side. And when it comes to the Franco-German relations, towards Russia, there has been a positive trend uh, towards uh, rapprochement with Moscow. Could you elaborate on this and how do you see this in the broader European context? I mean, there are several things here. Um, I think very often these advocates of a reset somewhat misread the number of facts. And I think we are all in agreement that diplomatic relations with Russia have been very bad since 2014, there are tensions, but it's not true that the EU and the US have not been engaging with Russia. I mean, summits have continued. There were probably fewer summits than in the preceding decade, but nonetheless, there were plenty of summits. There were lots of German-Russian summits, Finnish-Russian summits, uh, French-Russian summits. So in this sense, diplomatic, the diplomatic dialogue with Russia has been on an acceptable level in the last uh, six, seven years. Uh, we also had a, a lot of cooperation continuing uh, and even increasing. So, of course, if you go and look at the statistics 
uh, on the issuance of Schengen visas, you'd see, still see that Russia is the single biggest recipient of Schengen visas in the world. And Russia has been holding this position for probably about 20 years. Russia is still there. Of course, the economic crisis in Russia after 2014, COVID, all of that is affecting travel numbers. But Russia still is the biggest recipient of Schengen visas in the world. Of course, EU-Russian trade has been uh, continuing. And I think one of the most, not just resilient, but one, one of the most counterintuitive counter uh, areas of cooperation in, in EU-Russia relations have been has been related to Russian gas sales to the EU. And these gas sales have have beaten all historical records in the last three, four years. So at no point in the 80s, in the 90s, in 2000s, uh, Russia sold as much gas to Europe as in the last three, four years. So in some years, Russia sold up to 200 billion cubic meters of gas to Europe. So we had this kind of dichotomy where on the one hand, the political relationship was, was very bad and quite strained, but cooperation in multiple fields continued. And in some fields, and energy trade is, is as important as it gets for EU-Russia dialogue. So energy trade uh, with Russia has actually been beating historical records. So in this sense, it's not true that the lack of good diplomatic relations necessarily means lack of cooperation and lack of engagement on other, in other areas of cooperation. So that has been going on in, in these last years. If we go, and that's, I understand them. Sometimes you got this push from several member states. Uh, you had this desire to try and relaunch relations with Russia on the diplomatic level, and the latest such attempt was the visit by Josep Borrell. But more or less a year ago, there was a similar uh, reflection in, in Germany, for example. And as you know, Germany held the EU presidency from July to December last year. So approximately a year ago, there was a conversation in Germany about the need and the potential uh, ways to look for uh, for ways to stabilize relations with Russia. And of course, the Bregenson summit between France and Russia was a year and five, six months ago. So in this sense, this idea of the need to reset relations, it's it's constantly bubbling somewhere in in many diplomatic systems across the EU. And, you know, just in the last one and a half years, this Jose Borrell recent outreach is, is not the first uh, such attempt to, to, to reach a new and better level of diplomatic interaction. Now, the truth is that the French outreach to Russia from August 2019 allowed the creation of some working groups, but the results of those working groups across several issues don't seem to be very positive. And of course, because of COVID, uh, this, you know, the pandemic constrained diplomatic interaction, but even a pandemic cannot hide the fact that there was a limited Russian uh, desire to engage uh, with, with the French reset offer. In the case of the German attempts to restabilize, restabilize relations with Russia last year, well, they very quickly got derailed by the killing of uh, Hangoshvili in Berlin uh, in December 2019. And as you know, in, in June 2020, uh, Germany formally and openly accused Russia and attributed uh, cyber attacks against the Bundestag to the Russian, to Russian Federation uh, state 
agencies and based on basically a German call, the EU introduced sanctions against some Russian cyber operatives. So this happened several times where some member states were trying to find a way to uh, change the dynamic and improve the dynamic of dialogue with Russia. But these things very quickly hit the wall of, of realities, be it cyber attacks, uh, now the, of course, the Navalny issue, uh, or, or other situations that signaled and continue signaling in the EU that whereas Russia in principle maybe might not be against a diplomatic reset with the European Union, but what Russia certainly does not want to do is to reset Russian foreign policy itself. We have seen in almost a decade Russia not wanting to reset it, reset its foreign policy. Russia has been doubling down on its foreign policy at each occasion. And you know, the list is quite long. Syria, Libya, interactions with the European Union, Central African Republic, Ukraine, lots of foreign policy dossiers where Russia has been doubling down. And of course, Russia is in no mood in resetting its own foreign policy priorities. And when you have a situation like that, um, it's also not very feasible to expect that the European Union or the United States would be willing to unilaterally reset their foreign policies and not expect a similar reset and reconsideration or you know scaling down of Russian foreign policy. So we're stuck in this situation where for all the kind of press conferences and some of them are more successful, some of them are less successful, but fundamentally one of the reasons why uh, these attempts to uh, stabilize relations with Russia have not worked is because Russia thinks that its foreign policy works. Its foreign policy is contributing to a weakening of the United States, of the, of the European Union, of the transatlantic alliance, is weakening their alliances systems in the Middle East, you know, relations with Turkey. So Russia thinks that its foreign policy works. It sees no reason to reconsider it now. And that is why actually we're in a situation where polite talk and just going to Moscow and trying to have a positive conversation is actually not changing things on the ground. And this dynamic is probably likely to continue for several years. Mm -hmm. And we also clearly saw that this uh, uncoordinated Franco-German rapprochement with Russia has caused um, worries and resulted in fragmentation lines among the European members. What I mean, of course, is that Central and European countries are basically the strongest opponents of uh, this kind of, of reset policy towards, uh, towards Russia. So what is your anticipation about the positions of uh, countries such as Poland, the Baltic states, increasingly also um, countries in the north. Um, will they come up with a kind of common position when it comes to uh, European Council discussions on the future of uh, the bilateral relations? Um, and what kind of approach will they pursue in the future if the geoeconomic and geopolitical aspect in the relations of France and Germany with Russia are getting stronger and stronger. How are they going to counter, so to say, counterbalance this uh, stronger 
you know, pro-Russian position in a direction that uh, reflect uh, their uh, fears and uh, their geopolitical positions, which, as we also know, are still very much uh, threatening Russia, uh, mostly a direct neighbor, as an existential threat. Yeah, well, I think, you know, to a large degree, all of these uh, units that we operate with when we look at um, preferences for different Russia policies no longer uh, apply. And the truth is that it's been quite some time that there is no such thing as a Central European uh, or a Central and East European approach to Russia. I think that was the case in the early days of enlargement, but it's been almost a decade that um, uh, there is no consolidated Central and East European approach to Russia. Uh, we know that the Baltic states and Poland and Romania have been on a lot of issues much closer to countries like uh, Sweden or Denmark or sometimes Finland. Uh, and Germany these days actually cooperates quite closely and and perhaps is not as outspoken as Poland is, but is, is uh, quite concerned with developments in Russia. And if you go to countries like um, like Hungary, or there's, you know, there's political leaders in other EU member states, in the Czech Republic, for example, and their approach to Russia would be much more similar uh, to the Italian or Spanish line on Russia uh, traditionally, right? So in this sense, I think we're no longer seeing consolidated blocks of EU member states seeing uh, Russia or Ukraine in similar ways. The same goes, I think, for the Franco-German uh, approach to Russia. Some 15 years ago, even 12 years ago, uh, both France and Germany were strong believers in the idea that, uh, you know, the partnership for modernization with Russia is the right way to go. And at the time, all of them were thinking, uh, you know, the political elites in France and Germany were thinking that the Baltic states and Poland are too nervous about Russia, they exaggerate the Russian threat. And I think that by now, in 2021, that type of misreading of Baltic Baltic concerns is no longer there. So I think there's much, that's a much, there's a much greater understanding of, of uh, the Baltic analysis of Russia and the Romanian or the Polish analysis of Russia in Berlin and Paris than 10, 15 years ago. And we know why, because events proved that uh, Russia was not on a path to becoming Europeanized and, and integrating with Europe and uh, Russia chose its own way in foreign policy. Uh, and even today, we I would say that, and of course, at the same time, because you asked me explicitly about France and Germany, I'd say that, of course, all foreign policies are the result of, of the geography and histories of states. So it's absolutely natural that France has a different view of Russia than Poland does. And if you allow me to turn the tables, it's also true that also Poland doesn't care as much about other threats to Europe uh, from the Mediterranean, from, from Africa, you know. So in this sense, it's natural for Russia, for, for a country like France to feel less threatened by Russia. In the same way, that it is natural for a country like Poland to feel less threatened by, you know, jihadists in sub-Saharan Africa. So in this sense, I don't think it's fair or helpful uh, to start, you know, teaching and lecturing fellow member states on, on how 
badly they understand different parts of the European neighborhood because all member states understand some parts of a neighborhood better than, than other parts. And the main question I think that is important for the European Union is to try and converge these priorities. So I'd say that uh, there is a lot of, uh, you know, the, the bridging of the gap in reading, uh, the, you know, there is a long way to go still if we are talking about we need to bridge the gap between the strategic sensitivities vis-a-vis um, -vis Russia, but also vis-a-vis -vis, you know, North Africa that we need to do in the, inside the EU and inside NATO. But I would say that I do see France being much more invested in Central European security than it was five, six or ten years ago. You know, just recently the French Ministry of Defense published a white paper on Black Sea security uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you had the three Baltic foreign ministers coming to, to Paris. Uh, the French president has been quite present in, in, in Central Europe through visits. So I do think that this gap in how uh, the EU member states read Russia has been there. It's objective. It's historically rooted in, in decades and even hundreds of years of interaction with, with, uh, with Russia. But this gap is being reduced and this reduction in the gap is done uh, both thanks to what the Baltic states and Romania have been trying to argue in Berlin and Paris, but also thanks to what the way Paris and Berlin have become much more sensitive to the concern of many Central European states than they were 10-15 uh, years ago. So I think there is a certain visible process of unification of European analysis on what, uh, what Russia is. And of course, from that to having an efficient policy is a long way to go still. Uh, but uh, but these gaps in perceptions are being bridged. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I would like to ask an additional question related also to this um, discussion, which uh, is a little bit of an orthodox, but uh, it just uh, came to my mind. Would be at some point an approximation with Russia the so-called heavy pace to pay on the side of the European Union and the European members uh, in order to prevent uh, a Russia-China axis? I don't think the European Union or the United States for that matter have a lot of leeway in influencing the uh, Russian-Chinese bilateral relationship. Russia and China have a strategic environment that they read in their own way. Uh, for now, Russia feels more threatened from the West than from China. Uh, for China, I think, which, from what I understand, the Chinese reading is that its border with Russia is the most strategically secure border China has. And of course, China feels that in its uh, on its eastern borders, you have uh, the United States and uh, and its allies. In the south, you have India, and you know in the central part of Eurasia, things are quite unstable with Xinjiang Uyghur and Afghanistan and all of that. So, from a Chinese standpoint, it does look logical that its uh, border with Russia looks quite stable and it makes sense for China not to want to disrupt that relationship. And it also gives Russia a certain dose of leverage on how its interaction with China evolves. And partly because of it, China has been quite sensitive of Russian priorities. 
I mean, to a degree, China does in Central Asia what it considers is in the Chinese interest, but at the same time, they have done quite a lot of diplomatic and even psychological outreach to make sure this is not too irritating for Russia. And I think that the relationship is there to stay. Uh, Russia has a position where it would not want to antagonize China. Russia feels potentially way too vulnerable vis-a-vis -vis, vis -vis China. Uh, and that means that China, uh, Russia will not join uh, geopolitical or strategic actions directed against China. At the same time, Russia is responsible for its own policing of its own foreign policy autonomy vis-a-vis -vis China. I mean, it's not a European concern to be telling Moscow, oh, you don't want to become too dependent on, on, on China. Uh, you know, Russian foreign policy is, is a grown-up machinery, and the idea that you'll have Europeans and, and, and Americans going and explaining the Russians what is their benefit in, in doing or not doing with the Chinese is only creating uh, irritation in Moscow and for a good reason, right? So I think it's Russia's business to police how far it wants to go in its interaction with China. Russia is very careful in policing this interaction and preventing the excessive deepening of this interaction with China in a lot of sensitive domains. And I'll, I can give you a couple of examples in, in a second. But this idea that at some point, because of some clever diplomacy, Brussels or Berlin or Paris or, or Washington can persuade Russia to, you know, to join the West in containing China, I think that's pure fantasy. That's not going to work. Uh, and the West should look into what it needs in dealing with Russia. There should be, you know, pragmatic, sometimes tough, sometimes engagingist uh, interaction with Moscow. But but Russia feels too way too exposed to China to be threatening that relationship just for the sake of rapprochement with the West. So that's what I would say. And even if you look at, for example, because I said I would give you some example, even if you look at how present European companies are in the Russian uh, strategic uh, spheres in terms of investments and how non-present Chinese companies are, you'd see that Russia is much less fearful of Western investments. You know, one of the biggest um, Western players in the Russian energy sphere is BP, which has around 20% of, of Rosneft, for example, right? And that's an inheritance of TNK BP. So at some point a few years ago, for example, Russia tried to uh, privatize and sell another approximately 20% of Rosneft. And apparently the Chinese at the time signaled that they are ready to buy this 20% stake and Russia did not want to sell it to China. So within a difference of a few years, Russia was fine to have BP owning 20% of Rosneft, and Russia was not fine giving a similar stake to China. Why? Because Russia thinks that it will be able to um, negotiate from a position of uh, power with uh, a stake on, uh, an owner of stakes in, in Rosneft, such as BP, uh, and they are to a certain extent less afraid of a company than, like BP than of the Chinese National Oil and Petrol Corporation. Because the Russians understand very well that they wouldn't have a similar degree of autonomy, be it in business decisions or in strategic issues vis-a-vis -vis China. And they've been quite good at trying to police their own autonomy vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese. But they will not do this just because, you know, some Western foreign ministers of presidents goes to Moscow and lectures, lectures them uh, about China.
Now, very short final question on my side. Uh, I have many, many more, but we will do hopefully another another uh, live stream uh, in the second half of the year, um, following some developments in that uh, in that domain. Uh, what is your anticipation about uh, the relations of the United States with uh, Russia? Do you think that there will be a common approach between the European Union and United States? Or will they actually go separate ways when it comes to the relations with uh, with Russia? And also, maybe very, very, really short on uh, the Russian vaccine Sputnik. Do you see uh, the Russian uh, vaccine also being included uh, among the you know, next to the three vaccines which have also have been already approved, uh, and would actually the Russian vaccine also arrive on the European, uh, you know, uh, market uh, among European member states? Maybe very short anticipation on your side because you've also published something about this issue this year. Yeah. So regarding this issue of vaccines, I'm not uh, I'm not an expert on the quality of vaccines. Uh, what I think happened was that uh, Russia went into a PR overdrive over Sputnik uh, starting from August, September until late last year. And I think this PR public relations overdrive actually undermined the trust in the effectiveness of this vaccine. Uh, and that by saying this, I don't comment on the quality of the vaccine itself. I think that Russia, if Russia took it kind of slowly, technocratically, without over-publicizing it, probably the Russian vaccine would have gone a longer way in being sold internationally and being trusted both domestically in Russia and outside. What we've seen in the last month, there have been several signals uh, from EU governments, uh, Germany, uh, other EU governments, but also this medical journal Lancet, which public, which apparently suggests that in itself the Russian vaccine is is not bad; it's quite good. And in this sense, my personal approach is that uh, COVID has no nationality, and the vaccines also don't have any nationality either. Whatever com helps to combat COVID is something which should be used, uh, should be bought you know, money should be invested. So I'm, I think we should not be ideological about these vaccines. Uh, but, but I do agree that there was a degree of ideological uh, restraint to this excessive promotion of Sputnik V in the early days when it wasn't ready, but because it got politicized by the Russian authorities, actually it ended up making the vaccine subject of political controversy unnecessarily. Uh, when it comes to the EU-US cooperation, well, I would like to uh, point to the fact that R Russia has been doing a lot to make sure that this cooperation is as close as possible. And even this visit by Jose Borrell to Moscow, uh, it took place before a visit to Washington, for example, or before a visit by Antony Blinken to Europe. So to a certain extent, Europe went uh, on its own in offering a new attempt to reset relations with Russia. Uh, and it didn't work well. And of course, to an extent, I think even the way Russia handled this latest visit by Jose Borrell is only going to strengthen transatlantic coordination on Russia. At the same time, it's also useful to uh, be aware that the messaging from the Biden administration and the first call between uh, Presidents Biden and Putin of course, they mentioned the 
complicated issues in this relationship, but it more or less ended on a positive note. So I do think that there's a kind of pragmatic desire to continue interacting with Russia on some dossiers. But on other dossiers, I think what we will see is a policy of of a much tougher competition, a much tougher interaction uh, with the US and the EU on the one hand and with Russia on the other hand. And both of these uh, geopolitical players will actually be increasingly trying to weaken each other as a way to, for as a way to force their counterparts to the negotiating table. Okay, so I know that you are very busy and you took the time to uh, answer all my questions, but I reserve myself another chance to discuss more broadly with you this uh, very important, I think, uh, uh, issues. Um, and I wish you all the best for your research, for your work with the ECVR, and uh, stay safe and sound. Thank you, Nico, for being with me today. Thank you, Velina.